Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat with your host, Andy Storch. The show is dedicated to helping you develop the most important part of your organization, the people. If you are in HR or talent development, or you just want to learn how to get the best out of your people, then you are in the right place. Each week, Andy shares interviews with talent development professionals, thought leaders, and experts to share best practices, learn about the latest trends, and find out what has been successful in the world of talent development. This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I've got another great episode today for you to help you learn more and improve your game and performance and abilities in talent development, whether you're in L&D, leadership development, or DEI, which is our topic of today. My guest today is Dr. Lisa Toppin, who is the Chief Diversity Officer for Illumina, a biotechnology research firm with more than 10,000 employees. Lisa has held HR leadership positions with firms nationwide, including LPL, where she served as the Chief Diversity Officer, and Charles Schwab, where she's led the firm's diversity and inclusion and learning and development programming, as well as the executive recruiting function. Prior to that, Lisa served in HR business roles with Phillips, Sherwin-Williams, and Montel USA. She's a member of the Forbes HR Council and a world-renowned leader when it comes to engaging DNI change in a manner that is meaningful and sustainable. Lisa received her bachelor's in speech pathology from Howard University, her master's in human resources from Rutgers University, and her doctorate in education in human resources and development from the George Washington University. And Lisa is really focused today in her role, Illumina, on the integration and intersection of talent development and DEI. And that is going to be our topic for today is really talking about not just diversity, equity, inclusion, and how things have changed and what's important right now to be thinking about, but how that intersects with learning and development and what talent development professionals need to be thinking about to integrate DEI or weave DEI into everything they do. And in fact, Lisa says that before you can even think about weaving or integrating, you need to be thinking about advancing the cause and and building awareness. Lisa has been in the DEI field since 2005, so quite some time before it got, I would say, extra popular. And so I asked her about the history of that and what things were like when she got into that space early on and how things have changed as a result of the social justice movement that started in May of 2020. 
Lisa has a wealth of knowledge on this subject, and I'd say we barely scratched the surface, but I think we covered some really great ground in this interview. And I can't wait for you to take a listen and see what you think. And maybe there's more we need to dig in on. She and I talked about possibly having some more conversations, doing more work together. And she is going to be speaking in the Talent Development Think Tank community in October, I believe, to follow up on this conversation and dig deeper on these topics. So if you're interested in that, come join us. The website is tdtt.us. All right, without further ado, here is my conversation with Lisa Toppin about the intersection of talent development and DEI. Enjoy. All right. I'm joined now by Dr. Lisa Toppin, who is the Chief Diversity Officer for Illumina. And I'm excited to talk with you today, Lisa, about the intersection of talent development and DEI. Welcome. Thank you so much. So excited to talk with you about this topic. Yes. This is one that obviously, you know, DEI has become a hot topic or hotter topic over the last couple of years. And, you know, I speak every week with people in talent development and I've had fun, you know, learning more about this and also figuring out how do we bring these two things together because they've often been separate in the past. So I'm excited to dive into that, but I'd, I'd love to start first with a little bit of your background here. How did you get into HR and DEI and, and get to what you're doing today? Well, that's a that's a really long story, so I'm going to give you the abridged version. Okay. But the but the essence of it is I discovered human resources really because I was running out of choices in terms of career paths. Mm-hmm. So I took an interest test that validated the first two choices, which were speech pathology and psychology. And then it told me about human resources, a field I had not heard of. And so I said, okay, well, that that must be the right thing. So I pursued it and I completed a master's degree at Rutgers University and then began my career. And so again, human resources, right choice. I didn't come into diversity until after having been with Schwab for several years, I want to say maybe six, five, six, seven years, and a colleague was leaving and in her mentorship and sponsorship of me said, you're going to take diversity. And I thought, I don't know, I don't, not sure that I, I want diversity. She's like, no, nope, you're taking it. And uh, <laughs> didn't know that that was going to be the best thing that had happened to me in terms of a, of a career hmm. addition and advancement. And so that was 2005 and have really been engaged in some, some level of DNI work ever since. Yeah. 2005, you really are an OG Yes. In the diversity yes. world, right? Not, not one of those that jumped on the bandwagon in the last couple of years. Tell me, like when you started moving into a role like that in 2005, what did diversity, I was going to say diversity, equity, and inclusion, but I think back then it was it was purely just diversity, right? What, what did that look like? What did the mission look like back then? Back then, we were spending a lot of time working on making the business case. And so we were at that time fortunate to work for a company like Schwab who appreciated diversity and inclusion. And it was, it was diversity and inclusion and had had that in place for a time, but we were still looking for ways to make it really important to business leaders. Like how do we, how do we get this so that it's not a side thing and a nice to do thing or yeah. the right to do thing, but a business thing. So mm-hmm. I think it was working on how does this make sense for our business and how can yeah. we can, how can we leverage this as a as a business opportunity and so yeah. that's really where we were working back then okay as you got into pursuing that and that's like interesting that you were going in that direction right really important because i think you know a lot of people know hey this is the right thing to do but 
money talks, right? Like what, what's the business case behind this? What was one of the first sort of like aha moments that you had or like, oh, there is a connection here. And what was it that you discovered? Well, one of the things that we discovered, and this was a couple of things showed up. It's it's the we're at the end of June as we're recording this. So mm. just as an as a nod to pride, one of the things we discovered holding a pride event was how central having these discussions and making them available to our clients, how that mattered. So we were having an event for our employees primarily that was focused in on at that time, of course, we didn't have a federal law. So the laws in California of being a same-sex couple married in California, what rights do you have? What rights don't you have? How do you prepare? What documents do you need to ensure your future without having, having the federal status? And a couple wandered in from our branch into the conference room where we were holding this discussion. And they didn't realize it was an employee event, but they came in because the title suggested they, they weren't know, they, employees. They were they weren't employees. It, they were customers, and they came in and had great value for the conversation that we were having. And so it's like this is we are bringing value to the, the the folks that are leveraging the services of this company, and we need to bring yeah. that forward and leverage it as a as a place to stand out. So that was one of one of, an early aha as we were leading the, the work. Mm. Completely accidental, but but uh, powerful. But having those events where we see like, oh, okay, it's nice that we celebrate Pride or Black History Month or this and that, but can really help with morale and showing people that we're recognizing your importance and we're really paying attention to how we can give you value. Oh, for sure. I mean, it, you know, at the end of the day, without there being mention or inclusion, there's invisibility. Mm. And so if you are not seen it's hard to be seen. And if you, if it's hard to be seen, then it's hard to contribute everything that you have. So it's an imperative to make sure that every employee that you have in your workplace is, is fully seen and you see them in representation because they see themselves. It's just like a, a kid um, having a book that represents their family. It's not a traditional family, it's a different family. And so how do I get books that represent the kind of experience that I'm having when we're reading books about family. It's the same thing in the workplace. You know, are there leaders that look like me? Am I, as I often say to leaders, am I going to have to join this company and blaze a trail? Or am I going to join this company and find that we're already, you know, I can come in here and do great work without having to, you know, blow I'm, doors down. I'm already accepted for who I am and I can focus on my work versus half my attention or energy needs to be put into defending who I am or worried what other people think about me, that sort of stuff. That's right. A hundred percent. And was DEI or, or DNI part of HR then, or is it a separate entity? I have always experienced it as a part of HR. And okay. I know that there is movement and, and, you know, you'll find a lot of diversity officers now report directly to the CEO. And I think that certainly has its advantages, but I think there's some disadvantages with that as well. Hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? What the, the sure. trade-offs are there? Sure, sure. Well, and it really sort of gets to exactly what you and I are, are, are talking about today. And so the clear advantage is having the influence and leverage at the very top allows you to obviously move initiatives forward substantively, right? So if your boss is the CEO, then, then obviously that gives you a different leverage in the company. The challenge that I think can show up, doesn't have to, mm -hmm. the challenge that can show up is I think a lot of the work that actually needs to be done is in HR. 
So from my vantage point, I think it is helpful to sit in HR shoulder to shoulder with your colleagues that are leading talent management and the other parts of the organization so that you can really work on and solve together the kinds of things, the kinds of change that that you need to lead and, and lead it from a place inside the organization that is inside the HR organization opposed to outside as a peer to the, the CHRO. Mm. So I think that there is, that there's just, it just, it, it, it depends on the organization. Obviously it's going to depend on the yeah. leaders and, and, and you know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of depends in that scenario, right. yeah. but I do think that being close to closer to where the work is done, because you need to be in the conversation, you know, it's at the, the senior leadership team table where we're talking about what we're going to do and what we're going to change and all of that. If you're not at that table, because you're sitting in the C-suite, you're going to miss out on all the conversation that's going on where you actually need to drive a ton of work. Mm. Yeah. And every situation is different, right? But in general, there there are some trade-offs to that. I want to get to the intersection with talent development, but one other question I want to ask you, since you've been in this space for so long, from my perspective, DEI moved way more to the forefront for everybody after the death of George Floyd in May 2020, right? The rise of the social justice movement. I'm curious, since you've been in the space as long as you have, what are some of the big changes that you saw and, you know, through the years, but especially as a result of that movement and has it all been helpful or have there been any drawbacks to it? So I think that the most helpful thing is that social oppression is hard to see and it's hard to admit. Hmm. And George Floyd's murder made it so that we could not not see it. We had to see it and we couldn't, we had to admit it. And so then, then comes all the feelings that come with that, which is, well, I want to make it different. I want to make it better. I want to make change. And so that's all, those are all the right things. And I think that that opened things up in a way, but it, it made it so we didn't have to tiptoe around talking about social oppression. Social mm. oppression is a real phenomena that we experience across societies, right? It is not a new thing and it is pervasive. Anywhere you want to go in the world, you're going to find social oppression with respective groups, just a matter of which group isn't, you know, isn't in power and which group is. But now we have a way to see it that we didn't before. And that that was the game changer. When you talk about social oppression, I, I'm pretty sure I know what you're you're speaking about. I wonder if you can expand on that. I assume you're you're meaning you know certain groups not being treated equally or as well as others, right, in a systematic way. Yes. So I'm talking about as we commonly refer to the isms. Mm. So that is racism, that is sexism, that is ableism, that is heterosexism. So, Mm. you know, all of those isms, they all sort of have a same structure in the way in which they operate. People who are part of those groups are marginalized by the system. And the system works in such a way where sometimes you can't really see it. You don't see that the system is at work to marginalize a person. And so that makes it very hard to deconstruct the system and and get to a place where there is less bias. But now that we can at least at least we have a jumping off. We have several examples, Mm -hmm. but referencing the the earlier um, discussion about George Floyd, that gave us an example that made it, you know, just made it plain. The, the, The other example I would point to is Amy Cooper. Amy Cooper was a lady in the park with her dog and just doing a thing. And, you know, then Christian asked her very kindly not to to leash her dog. And for whatever reason, that bugged her. 
And so what Amy then did was try to access the system of racism. So she she understood and we all understood because we all watched it. She understood that if you act as though you're distressed as a white woman, the system will then take over. And if we didn't have the video, Christian probably would have ended up in a different space. And that's the system that we're talking about, a system that you can turn on, access, and then step out of and, 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 and not access. It is available to you. And that's the ism that is just per, per, present all of the time, whether you access it, whether you're actively accessing it as Amy Cooper did or not. So that's what I mean by social oppression. It's it's on all of the time and anybody can access it and turn it on and impact your experience, whether they mean to or they don't mean to Mm. that the the system, that system takes over and does what the system does. Yeah. And I hadn't thought about how the, you know, the, the video footage obviously made was, was shocking and made thing, you know, made it more obvious to so many people as you've kind of alluded and mentioned here, like the social oppression has been going on for generations, right. Or thousands of years in our society. And many people were intimately familiar with it because they've been victims or they've experienced it. And then there are many other people like me who are like, Hey, life is great. Don't really notice these things. Right. Until you start to see that video footage and like, Oh, this is going on on a regular basis. Yeah. And, and, and one of the ways in which the system works is when we do see the when we do see that situation, we go, well, that that was just one person, mm. or that was just a she was just a, a right. not good lady, bad apple, and so, but but not really appreciating that the the system is is intact, and as soon as you make it about the one person opposed to the system that anybody can access and use against you at any time, then the system remains intact. So that yeah. means. Somebody else heads out to a, to a park and another Amy Cooper can do the same thing. And if there's no video, then, you know, potentially her, her the, the person she's engaging ends up in a different a different circumstance. Right. Mm. So so that that's the thing that it, it's acknowledging that, no, there's a thing that says if you're this, if you look like this and you allege this, then the system is going to protect you yeah. and the system is not going to protect you. And so that's the, the system is up and it's running and it's chugging. And that's how it works. In the, yeah. in the, and you could apply that across the board. For, for I'm women. sure there's many examples. Yeah. I, I think, totally. of course, of the, the case and death of Trayvon Martin down here in central Florida, where I live, oh, yeah. and how the system worked in that case, right? And that was eye-opening for a lot of people, but still wasn't enough to really change things until things were more caught on video in yep. 2020 around that time. Yep. Yep. And, and so that, that, that was sort of the, the beginning because you could really not, it wasn't the beginning, but it was sort of the early stage of us really starting to appreciate how stacked against the community yeah. that the, the system is. And so a kid could be in his own neighborhood, walking with Skittles and a, and an iced tea and, and lose his life because right. somebody, because somebody thought, and that person still walked free. That's right. Yeah. He was uh, standing his ground. Yes. according to the law and the court case. So I don't want to go down the, too far down the rabbit hole yes. of social injustice, right? Well, I'm sure we could, we could cover a lot of ground there, but I want to bring this back to talent development and DEI. And so as a result of that, you know, George Floyd and the social justice movement, a lot of big changes I feel like were made. DEI became much more to the forefront. Many companies went, oh my gosh, we need to pay attention to this. We need to do something about this. We're just as responsible as anybody else. We need to create an environment where 
members of our underrepresented groups, especially black people feel more comfortable and feel like they can show up and like they're treated fairly. From my you know, vantage point, I felt like a lot of companies were making big changes. I would imagine you saw that as well. Where does the intersection of talent development come in so that we can keep this movement going and continue to improve diversity, equity, and inclusion? Yeah. Well, in, in, from, from my vantage point and the work that, that I'm, I'm leading, talent development is really where the, where the, where the action is. So when, when a leader says they want to lead change, where and how are they going to lead change in the context of the organization? And it's really in the talent cycle. It's going to be who they hire, who they develop, who they promote, who they move forward, how they move talent around, right? This is all talent considerations and action. And to, you know, through the cycle, until that person retires or leaves the company, the, the place in which you're going to advance equity and inclusion is in the talent cycle. That's the main lever that you have. And a lot of people focus their effort around hiring, which is great, but it, it really doesn't get to the whole story. It's the place, and part of it is that's the place where we can measure so well. We can count right. how many people you've hired, how yep. many women do we have, how many we hired, who, and then who are we promoting? Mm-hmm. We can count those things. Yeah, the diversity angle is, is much more measurable than the other parts. A hundred percent. The thing we can't count that actually matters so significantly is development assignments. Who do you give development assignments to? So you think about that classic scenario where the boss calls you and says, okay, I need, you know, X, Y, Z on Z on next Tuesday. Who do you pull in to help you with that assignment? Well, that's a high visibility assignment, right? And so who gets it matters because if those assignments aren't distributed evenly across the organization, then you'll still see the funnel shape the way the funnel has historically shaped. People typically pull in who they are most comfortable with, who they know the best, they have a best relationship with, and typically those people mirror themselves. Right, or who their and friends so, recommend, and they're going to mirror them. Right. So you've got to make you've got to make extra effort to be intentional about delivering that across. And that can be the work really for a leader to make difference because it's not enough to hire. You've got to then position people equally for promotion and advancement and learning and development and exposure and all of those things. And that's, that's, that's work in talent management. Right. And then you think about talent development, you're looking at creating learning programs, hypo programs, obviously there's selection involved in that, who gets to go through those programs and how do you make them more inclusive for everybody getting involved, right? That's right. That's right. And I I think there's opportunity for us to even think about how we define that because historically we've always put limits on talent and the way we think about talent. So, you know, it's the top 10% or it's the top 15 or, but without great significant measures of actually how we get to that. So now it's, now it's my judgment call as to who's the top 10 is, you know, in school Mm -hmm. when we graduated, never me, but there's the top 10% of the class. Right. And so it's never me either. You know, no, no, no one's counting. No, as I, as, I, as my mother told me at one point, nobody cares. Okay. That's right. so We're no all here works. now. It's fine. No, no one's ever going to ask you, but at a, at a certain point, right. You are, you're measuring, you have a way of measuring your performance. Who has the top GPA? Well, move into organizations 
and that aren't sale that that you know it's not a sales team it's teams that that deliver outcomes if you will but not necessarily numbered outcomes now you need a judgment call on who delivered the most and that can be that can be murky and so you 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 end up with i'm going to say lists that have a fair amount of bias baked into them. So I think mm. there's opportunity for us to even open up how we're thinking about that. Yeah. When approaching talent development, I know you mentioned like diversity is much easier to measure, right? How many people are hiring? How many people of color? How many women? That sort of thing. How do we look at things like inclusion and belonging to make sure that we're doing it right and we we are making people feel like they belong in you know some of the programs that we're creating? Yeah. Well, there are measures for those things as well. And, you know, we work with Mesh Diversity that is a consulting firm that's developed a platform that allows you to measure through emotional intelligence, inclusion and inclusivity. So it's operating from this premise. Emotional intelligence is the is the the necessary behavior that allows a person to act inclusively right? So that's your awareness of self, that's your ability to manage and be in relationship, deal with other people. So what behaviors do you have on both of those, both of those ends of that, of that continuum, emotional intelligence? So they measure, or they developed a tool that allows you to measure how inclusive do you believe that you are from an emotional intelligence standpoint, or how inclusive do others experience you? And so that allows, that gives us a lens into what you're talking about, inclusion and belonging, because then then now we have a way to actually put some numbers around it and and description in terms of behavior, like you're you're high here, you're low here, and it's it's this gap that where there's opportunity to build. COVID-19 pandemic and 2020 changed everything in business and talent development. Almost overnight, companies were forced to figure out how to engage their employees remotely and run their development programs virtually. Luckily, Advantage Performance Group has been running a webinar series and releasing free resources throughout the last year and beyond. Advantage is a proud sponsor of the Talent Development Hot Seat, known for creating, learning, and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to be the best at what they do. Advantage helps leaders lead, sellers sell, and businesses flourish. To join our webinar series and find more of our free resources, just head on over to AdvantagePerformance.com. That's AdvantagePerformance.com. For people who work in talent development, which is majority of our audience, and some work in very progressive organizations that have robust DEI departments and budgets, and they're already working on weaving things in. Others, you know, work in more conservative, traditional, we'll say, organizations that maybe haven't invested as much there. How should people in L&D be thinking about weaving DEI more into everything they do to make sure that it is part of their work? Yeah. So it's interesting, as you say, um, you use the language of weaving it in. Mm. We started with language that said we were going to embed it in everything that we do. And we changed that to advance it because we, we recognize that to embed it would suggest that we understand it well enough to have it have it not be seen. So the analogy I would give you, if you were a baker and you were working with almond, you knew almond, you're familiar with almond, you know, you know almond. 
So if I give you a cake and it has almond flavor, you're going to identify right away. Oh, that's almond. You know, that's a wonderful flavor. If you don't know almond, you're going to say, huh, this cake is really good. It, it's so similar to another cake, but it has a different flavor. And I don't know what that is. Right. What we what we're trying to do is help leaders see it first, because we're still in in early stages. And I think, quite honestly, many people are. You got to see it first. So let's advance it, not weave, but advance. And then we get to a place where we're weaving or embedding. And I think you and I think you you do that by asking at every with every program or with every approach, every product that you're rolling out. Where and how does DNI show up in this? How will how will I know that I am actually advancing it with the process around this, with the outcomes of this? How do I know I'm going to get to it? And I think you just have to you just have to ask that question, and then you know you can then make the, the necessary changes to ensure that it's there. Right. Yeah. So advancing before even thinking about weaving it in and, and bringing more awareness focusing on that talent system as the pathway. When you and I talked before, I remember you you talked about mentoring and ERG, you know, employee resource groups being really important as part of this and, and working with talent leaders to kind of connect all of this and make sure that there's more movement and you were advancing that cause that you talked about. Yeah. Well, you know, we we like leveraging our ERG platform really as a development platform because people, the, the, you know, if you think about these respective groups, these are leaders that step forward and on a volunteer basis and say, listen, we want to lead meaningful things on behalf of the firm. So if you're volunteering to lead, then I should be developing you and leveraging your, your desire to lead as, as pipeline talent for the organization. So we've focused very much on how do we help them leverage the, the, the seat of chair of the Latinx group or the iPi group or whatever, whichever group, how do we help them leverage that to advance their career? And that's, you know, th that's where you're going to get the, the, the mentoring. And we, we also hope to really to create some sponsorship in the process of, of doing that well. That's great. So it, it's important to leverage those groups, you know, to, to connect more people, bring more people in, into the fold. When we talked before about talent development, you talked about building a talent engine and I think really kind of looking more at how you're managing talent and performance, the performance process, and even leveraging technology, right, to, to weave more of this in. Yes. So the, the performance process continues to evolve. And I think it, it gives a lot of flexibility and, and really opportunity for people to lead it for themselves. And so how do you how do you show up with your leader and get out of it what you'd like to get? And that can be challenging to do, you know, because sometimes that's just leader dependent. You know, do I have a leader that's going to show up and allow me to, you know, set set agenda and, and leverage that for what I need it to be? So it is, um, it, you know, I think that's an important part of how you set talent up to find a way to, 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 to get where, where it is they're trying to go. And so we're just, we're in the, still in the early stages of, of building that, but that's a place where with our talent engine and, and the work with our talent manager, she, you know, is, is exactly what she's trying to do is to set it up so leaders can get to and lead and um, create the outcomes 
that they'd like to have. So I think, you know, our, our talent management leader trying to really set it up so that in building this talent engine, we, we can support people in taking charge of their careers and, and building the kind of career they want and being the kind of workplace where they can and layered into that, right? It, it being a part of that discussion is, and what does it mean for me as a woman? And what does it mean for me as a minority? And, and being able to bring those things to the table in an explicit way and find support. And, and that's, that's, that's the environment I think we want to create. We don't, we yeah. don't want to, we, no hiding. We want to be. We want to be able to have real conversations about this stuff. Right. And, and bring it to the forefront. Yeah. Last question, Lisa, you think about people in talent development, learning and development. We talked about advancing before maybe weaving. Is there anything else that you want people to be thinking about as they look to advance the, the cause of DEI, as well as, you know, continue to improve development for people in their organizations? I think the, the one thing I always lead with is this idea of practice that diversity, equity, inclusion, all of those things are a part of a leadership practice. And we enter practice wherever we are. So if, as an analogy, if you can dribble two basketballs at the same time down the court because you're a really skilled ball handler, then your practice looks different than mine. And I might enter the court just trying to, you know, get something going here with my, you know, get, get something going with my left hand. Right. And so our practice looks different. So, so we got to give people space and room to enter and practice and understand it's not going to be perfect and people are going to make mistakes. I think we've made it so scary that people are afraid to practice, but that's how you get better. And right. you can't get better without practice. So all of us in the, in the HR space, talent management, talent development space, we need to facilitate practice. We need to facilitate ways in which leaders can try and not be made wrong and bad, but just try. And then if it's not good, try again <laughs> and, and, yep. and keep going with, with your practice because that, that, that piece, there is only one path. You got to mm. do it. You can't, there's no, you can't just close your eyes and wake up and be better. You have to, you've got to practice. Growth mindset. I think that's great for everybody, right? It drives more innovation. We're willing and able to try new things and not have to worry too much about failure. A hundred percent. That's really it. Lisa, this has been really great. A lot of great insights here for people in talent development, especially looking to, to weave more DEI or advance more DEI into what they're doing. If anybody listening wants to get in touch with you, maybe ask you questions, what, where's the best way for them to do that? Is it LinkedIn, somewhere else? LinkedIn, drlisatoppin.com. That's my website, drlisatoppin.com, but drlisatoppin on LinkedIn as well. Great places to, uh, to, to reach in, reach out for sure. Awesome. Well, I really enjoyed talking with you. I'm looking forward to talking more and we're going to do a little bonus Q&A episode as well, but thank you for being here today. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Love the conversation. All right, that will do it for my conversation with Dr. Lisa Toppin from Illumina. I hope you enjoyed that conversation and got some nuggets of wisdom, got some value there about how you can think more about integrating diversity, equity, inclusion into everything you do in talent development, learning and development. We didn't even discuss in this conversation, Lisa has recently finished working on a leadership development program for executives to build more awareness about DEI. And we actually talk about that in our bonus Q&A episode, so stay tuned for that. And I've also invited Lisa 
to come as a guest speaker to talk with us in the Talent Development Think Tank community. We do calls every Wednesday in that community on Zoom. We have guest speakers like Lisa, as well as open forum calls on different subjects, including DEI. And we do networking once a month as well. And it truly is a community for people to learn from each other and support each other in their talent development growth. And if you're not a member, we'd love for you to come check it out. Our website is tdtt.us, as in Talent Development Think Tank. If you have questions, there should be a link on our website where you can book a call with me, or you can send me an email, andy at andystorch.com, or even reach out on LinkedIn. And I'd be happy to connect with you and see if it's a good fit. I always want to get to know everybody who joins the community anyway, to make sure that people are getting the most value they can get out of that community. And of course, I want to remind you that it is very community focused. We don't just do webinars. If you come join, say for Lisa's session or another, it's not just presenting on the same topic that you heard on the podcast. It's really getting a chance to dig in and ask questions and have a conversation and share your own experiences so that we can learn from each other. Again, if you want to join, our website is tdtt.us, as in Talent Development Think Tank, and you can use code HOTSEAT when you sign up for 10% off. I want to remind you that our podcast is also sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is the first place to call when you want your leaders to lead, your sellers to sell, and your people to do the best work of their lives. Advantage is a professional services firm dedicated to providing a continuous stream of creative learning and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to be the best at what they do. Advantage really specializes in providing experiential learning programs, interactive experiences, both virtual and in-person, that will really help your people learn and improve their performance. You can find out more information and see all their solutions by going to their website, advantageperformance.com. That's advantageperformance.com. And finally, I wanted to remind you, I don't know if it came up in our interview I can't remember, but I do have a book called Own Your Career, Own Your Life. And I'm really proud of what we've done with that book. I've been doing a lot of work with different organizations to truly teach people how to own their careers. The book is designed to help people stop drifting and take control of their future. There are three parts to the book. The first part is about owning your career. The second part is about preparing for the future. And the third part is about owning your life. I hear so much great feedback from people who are benefiting from reading the book and going through the exercises in there, developing some of the habits, setting new goals for their careers. And even if you don't want to read the whole book, I've got some free resources on my website. If you go to andystorch.com career, that's andystorch.com career. Lots of great free resources there. You can get the book on the website or on Amazon. And I'm available to work with organizations for speaking, for training, to really teach and help people to truly own their careers so that they're more proactive in chasing their goals and going after the things they want, having conversations with their managers, taking advantage of the tools and resources in the organization, and therefore staying longer. So if you want to talk, feel free to reach out to me. My email is andy at andystorch.com. All right. Thank you again for listening. I appreciate you supporting the show. I hope you'll share it with others and that I'll get to talk with you next time. Stay tuned. Our next episode will be my bonus Q&A episode with Dr. Lisa Toppin. I'm going to ask her a few more questions about her career and the trends that she's following in talent development. Stay tuned. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again. Take care.